0: Hi, I'm Morphin Westfield, and you're listening to Vampires, Witches, and Geeks, a podcast about vampires, modern witches, and geeky stuff. This is Episode 12, Interview with Author Catherine Lundoff. This episode was originally recorded on February 26, 2009. In this episode, I interview accomplished author and editor Katherine Lundoff, whose collection Night's Kiss, Lesbian Erotica, has just been released by Lethe Press. Her anthology, Haunted Hearts and Sapphic Shades, Lesbian Ghost Stories, also from Lethe Press, is a nominee in the Lambda Literary Award, Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror category. Hi, Catherine. Are you there? I am. And I understand you drove through a blizzard to get here. (laughs) (laughs) Just for your listening audience. (laughs) Yes, yes, folks. She didn't actually drive to the East Coast. Out in her neck of the woods, it is a raging snowstorm. I'm glad you made it home safely. Thank you. You and I are both members of Broad Universe, and one of the reasons that I wanted to interview you was because I noticed that you, too, write vampire fiction. I noticed that it's also, you write a lot of erotic vampire fiction, so maybe a good place to start is the sexual allure of vampires in general. Starting out with, how did you first get interested in vampires? Oh,
1: I think probably when I was about 13. My mother took me to a production of um, Dracula with the Edward Gorey sets on Broadway,
0: Mm.
1: And Frank Langella was in it back when he was young and beautiful. And and it was just a lasting impression. Among other things, the curtains had little sort of felted bats with glowing eyes. Ooh. And I thought it was the coolest thing I had ever seen. I was a very goth preteen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you should mention Frank Langella because right around the time that I saw the movie Dracula, is when I started the first draft of my novel. So we have a common start there. Did you also, I'm wondering, watch Dark Shadows? You know, I didn't. um,
1: I don't think I've ever seen more than a few
0: minutes of the show. It's something
1: that I've been curious about, but for whatever reason, the planets have never been in alignment and I've just never gotten to watch it. So I've usually, I've read quite a bit of vampire fiction. So I started out with, you know, Stoker and um, Sheridan Le Fanu and so forth. So mostly I got a lot of my, my vampire fiction from books and stories.
0: Right. What surprised me about when I saw Dark Shadows many years later is that Barnabas Collins appeared to be about 40, and like you, I was a teenager. And so I was mortified by the fact that I had a crush on this guy that was old enough to be my father. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, Frank Langella was not fatherly at all. <laughs> Certainly not back then, no. No, no. And so your mother took you, and you saw Frank Langella, and you saw the bats with the glowing eyes, and where did you go from there?
1: I did some more reading. My mother has worked in publishing for uh, most of her career, and yay yeah, many years ago, she did the picture research and picture rights for a book called A Clutch of Vampires, Ooh. which is one of the classic, you know, early collections of vampire myths and legends. Wow. And, and I read it, you know, when I was about the same age, and, you know, I was fascinated, um, in particular, I mean, there, there's a certain amount of, you know, gross-out fascination, because you're reading, you know, Elizabeth of Bathory and things of that, you know, along that, those lines, but I was fascinated by um, things like um, Sheridan Le Fanu's Carmilla, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the all-time great vampire stories. Right. And that was was probably the first time I ran across that, was reading it in that collection. But I I didn't actually start writing. I'm not one of those writers who, you know, always knew I wanted to be a writer and started writing when I was 10 or something. I I skipped all of that. I actually did not start writing until I was in my early 30s. You know, vampires were something I started working with. Um, It was actually the first vampire story I wrote was because I wanted to sell a story to Circlet Press, which is a you know, fairly famous, well-established science fiction and fantasy erotica publisher run by um, Cecilia Tam, who's, you know, won a number of awards and done lots and lots of things since then. And I really wanted to break into one of their vampire anthologies because I thought it sounded like, you know, something that would be really fun. So my very first vampire story was actually for her and it was for a collection called Cherished Blood. And that story, actually, I, I entered it in a writing contest with uh, a webzine that no longer exists. And it was the first of what I was thinking of as it was going to be a series of vampires and colonial Mexico stories. Oh, wow. Because I'm fascinated with Zorro, and it just kind of all came together in that. that oh, scene. yeah.
0: You, you, know. you know, we got the cape, right? The cape, <laughs> you know,
1: the running around at night, you know, saving the mm-hmm. oppressed, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. I had entered the, this particular story in in a contest, and it won second place, which was you know wonderful because I mean it was maybe the maybe the third story I'd ever written, and I remember that it came back, and the judge described my work as moving but disturbing,
0: ooh, which
1: I just loved.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> That, that's interesting. Zorro, it just occurred to me, you know, it's, it sounds sort of like a cross between Zorro, Dracula, and Robin Yeah,
1: definitely heavy
0: influences. Wow. Now, when this came out, Anne Rice, where did your acceptance into the anthology come in that time frame? Where was, like, for instance, Anne Rice, uh, was she at the top of her popularity or had already waned a bit? Um, I think she was probably,
1: you know, the figure this was about 10 years ago, because I've been writing for about 10 years. This was probably right around the point where she'd really taken off. I, I have a confession. I, I can't actually get through Anne Rice. I have tried very, very hard, and it simply doesn't work for me. Um, I, I suppose I can take that on as a personal failing,
0: <laughs> but there it is. Well, actually, the very first time someone showed me interview with the Vampire*, the same thing, I could not read it. You know, they were too human for me. I didn't know that was the problem at the time. I thought that it was just that she was breaking some of the tropes and taboos, and I wasn't ready for that. But then looking back, it was just that they were too much in the human world and had too many human things. And But the second time, I did read it and liked it. But that was like 10 years later.
1: I I have to admit it's her prose style that does me in.
0: Yeah, well, that's... (laughs) I'm willing to suspend
1: the disbelief. I just can't get through the words.
0: (laughs) Well, interview with the vampire, I think a lot of people agree that was very tight. But it seems that later on she suffered from what a lot of very popular bestsellers suffer from in the fact that they're... Not well edited. You know, you wonder, you don't know if it's because the editors are terrified or whether they think, oh, this is perfect. Or whether people are that difficult and say, no, I'm not going to change that. But, yeah, she does get a little loose later on. Yeah,
1: I I don't know. I, I, she's just on my list of writers that I, I just will never quite get into. And yeah, I did like Laurel K. Hamilton's Anita Blake series when that first started out. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, saying this as an erotica writer, I liked it before she put all the sex in.
0: Oh, that's interesting, yeah.
1: Back when it was just foreplay, it was fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, what, what is your vampire mythos? Just from what I've read, I've read two of your short stories. It seems that yours um, have the traditional vampire characteristic like fangs and aversion to sunlight. Is that true?
1: Yes, I do, I do tend to work those in. I do have one story with a sort of day-walking vampire. Um, It's a story called Twilight that appeared in Best Fantastic Erotica. Mm. And that one, I I was kind of playing with the notion. I was, you know, I think I'd just seen Blade or something of that nature. And I was kind of like, well, it's a fun idea. Let's see what I could come up with. So, I came up with a character who's half-human, half-vampire. Ah, and that's why he
0: or she yeah. can go out in the sunlight. Yeah. You've written a number of uh, lesbian erotica, and you've written heterosexual erotica. Is that true? Yes,
1: that is true. Um, I've also I've written a couple of bi stories, and I do have a published male-male vampire novella. Ooh, what's the
0: name of that one?
1: Um, it's called Beauty. And it appeared in a collection called Zowie, It's Yowie, edited by um, Marilyn J. Lewis. And that was really fun. That was one of those wacky things where I've, Marilyn's an editor I've worked with a number of times, and Marilyn sort of rang up and said, hey, so in eight weeks, can you give me 20,000 words of yowie? (laughs) I said, well, I don't know. I've never done it before. (laughs) Let me see what I can do. Uh, one of my friends showed up on our doorstep with about 15 volumes of different Yaoi series. Wow! And I spent the whole weekend. I did nothing but read Yaoi volumes back to back until I had an idea of, of, you know, of how I thought I could do it. Mm-hmm. And then I sat down and wrote this story. And it's it's you know it's it's primarily a love story about this vampire prince who falls for the mistreated younger son of this. Really unpleasant royal family. Oh, it was fun to play with. I had a good time with it. I, I would, it's something I would I would probably return to again. Yeah, and that that vampire also drank blood and had some light, had some daylight sensitivity mm. as well. So I guess I have pretty much stuck with that.
0: What about the old aversion to crosses and holy water? Um, that's
1: varied. Probably the closest I've come to doing the you know vampire as animal is uh, a story that I wrote called She Who Waits. Um, which has just been, it it ran in uh, Best Lesbian Erotica and a couple of other collections. Um, Most recently, it's in my newest collection, Night's Kiss. And in it, this very, very goth college student who dresses up a lot like Neil Gaiman's death (laughs) um, picks up a biker vampire. And she has this idea that it's going to be this, you know, splendid romantic thing. They'll sit around and drink, you know, blood out of little crystal skull goblets and all of that. And the vampire basically just wants to have sex and drink her blood. And that's it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it, it was kind of, you know, more along those lines. And at one point, the vampire does take off her cross and just sort of tosses it because it doesn't mean anything to her.
0: Right.
1: I've never really completely understood, other than it was, you know, comforting to people who are genuinely afraid of the idea of vampires, the notion that a religious symbol would necessarily have any impact on them. Right. They're, they're already, you know, they're in theory already dead. They're already in a cemetery. They're surrounded by crosses, generally speaking, depending on, you know, which mythos you're dealing with. So logically, that would keep them in the cemetery all the time if it was really a problem.
0: Ah, oh, good point. Yeah, because they... Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> And There is one mythos that says that one could become a vampire if one committed suicide. And in that case, suicides were often buried in an, uncon- At the crossroad. Or, right, or an unconsecrated part of the cemetery. So they wouldn't have crosses there. But yeah, I think what killed it for me was it called Love Bites. There was some movie that was sort of, or Once Bitten, maybe that was it. Some movie where the character, uh, someone pulls a cross and he says... Ah, wrong religion. You know, he turns out to be Jewish. So, I mean, from then on, I, I've had a a hard time really having that cross thing. I can see why... Well, let me rephrase that. I remember reading somewhere that the early vampire stories, when or like the movies in the 1930s, at that time, religion was so strong and not so much the secular humanism. And that the vampire represented the loss of soul and loss of grace from God, etc. And the cross did have power, but I know what you mean. <laughs> it's just, it's just not one that we see a lot in current um, current stories and novels. So, what is it that that draws you to writing the genre? Is it the sexuality, or is it the fascination with the the mythos or both?
1: I think it's both I mean to me you know just the whole notion of vampires that they're kind of inherently erotic I mean if you're going to get you know past the you know the version of the vampire that is Nosferatu for example yes Nosferatu is not erotic no. <laughs> <laughs> you know but once you get you know to Dracula for example I mean Dracula, depending on who's playing him, can be quite hot. Right. Um, and, you know, once you start exploring something that makes them more human and less monster, there's an element to it. I mean, you've got the whole notion of surrendering to something that's going to sink its teeth into your neck, the ultimate hickey, right, right there.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, there's an element of, you know, BDSM, of power play that goes with that because you're dealing with, you know, surrendering and control and, you know, a greater force. And depending on which version of the mythos you go into, you're dealing with the notion that to the extent to which the more or less victim has some control over the situation. And especially if you get into more, you know, contemporary, you know, romances, paranormal romances, where the non-consensual chomping is not encouraged, (laughs) So it it tends to explore a lot more of that. So the more humans the vampires become, in some respects, the more erotic they become, I think. Yes. Because, you know, who amongst us would go, wow, Nosferatu, interview with a vampire, let's go. Not so much.
0: (laughs) Right. It's sort of like, I haven't read very much of zombie fiction that's come out, but I just... Don't have the same feeling towards zombies <laughs> you know mm. the whole rotting flesh thing Ooh, <laughs> <Ew>. exactly <laughs> rotting flesh oozing body fluids but there are two things that people always ask me about my books and I rarely have a good answer the first thing is about the breath now I noticed in uh, Stephanie Mayer's uh, Twilight series Edward Cullen has the sweetest breath does that ever come up in... Edward Cullen sparkles! <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Does the topic of breath ever come up in any of your stories? Or is it that you something know, I, we just suspend that?
1: I got to admit, I, I dodged that one. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, really, if you're going to consider the breath, you might as well consider the overall smell. Right. <laughs> and, you know, do do they smell like the grave? Do they not smell like the grave? Unless you have fairly unusual tastes, you know, you're probably not going to be all that interested in something that smells like it was just dug up. Right. So, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things where, yeah, I, I usually I dodge that one. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's busted. I I, I think some of the early myths, maybe you know, the vampire was seen to have the hypnotic control and that I guess gave the excuse they could bite anyone they wanted, even if they did smell like something the cat drug in a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I confess the my first book I, I totally forgot about that. I think the second one I mentioned that one of the vampire I have a character comment that he could have used a breath mint. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and the second one, and since you write erotica, this is a good one. Someone asked me, okay, your vampire has sex with a human. How, with their excessive force and strength, how do they not destroy the human?
1: Ah, yes. That one is is also kind of one of those, you know, how far do you go? Um, In in She Who Waits, I actually do have the vampire kill the, the protagonist. I don't always do that. Mm-hmm. In Twilight, uh, the, the the half vampire daywalker character uh, gets involved with a vampire hunter who's descended from Van Helsing, and turns out he's just a complete subby. So he kind of gets off on it because um, she, she is much stronger than he is, but only within you know the window of time where she's mostly vampire. Ah. And in in other stories, I I must admit, I've kind of dodged it. Um, I've been really interested in the analyses of the Stephanie Meyer Twilight books as a form of, well, I I liked the phrase abstinence porn (laughs) because I thought it it summed it up so well. That is a Uh, good one. But the whole notion of, you know, we, 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 we can never be together because I would destroy you and I would kill you and the notion of sex with me would do this terrible thing. And I noticed, you know, that a lot of the, the fans of the series were, were rather upset when they finally do actually get married and have sex, you know, that it was just, it was as though this, this bond had been broken, you know, but I, I think that if you're going to assume that this, you know, creature can come back from the dead, you know, turn into a bat, do all of these other things, why not self-control on top of it?
0: Right. <laughs> you know? The other way I look at it, too, and actually, Stephanie Meyer, in listening to her, I've been listening to the audio version some, um, but she was saying that the vampires have to control themselves, like, to speak at a normal rate and to move at a normal rate. So, you're right. I mean, if they can control their speech continually and their movements continually, why wouldn't they have the fine motor skills and control to control themselves during sex? yeah. I think it's just part of the mythos that we accept, you know, just a fiction. Or if it were a fact, if immortal vampires do exist in the world somewhere, you're right. If they can come back from the grave and do, turn into a bat and all these other things, why not motor skills? Yeah. yeah so that's a good answer. I like that. <laughs> Embrace suspension of disbelief. Yes, yes. What's, what are you working on now? Do you, do you work, write vampire erotica, or just other types of fiction?
1: Um, I usually have several projects going at the same time. Right now, I, I'm actually into werewolves, and I'm working on a non-erotic. It's, it's a fantasy novel about a menopausal woman who discovers that as she's entering menopause... She also turns into a werewolf. Oh, I can identify with that. <laughs> so many women have said that. <laughs> so I, I'm working on that a lot right now. Um, it's called Silver Moon, and that's that's the current um, novel in progress. And I'm hoping to have a draft of that done you know, before the end of the year so I can start shopping that around soon. Wow, that sounds interesting. I'm also working on a, a, a pirate novella for a collection of lesbian pirate novellas and that one will be sort of swashbuckling romance Ooh. and so that that's one of the other projects i've got going on right now i do a lot of stuff to deadlines so that's this is you know some some of my current deadlines and hmm, what else am i doing i just finished an erotica story for a collection i haven't heard back on whether or not it's been accepted yet but it's about it's for an anthology of threesomes, threesomes erotica and I wrote about the, the fates.
0: Oh, right. The,
1: the Three Fates.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So, so that was kind of fun. Yeah. Something
1: a little, little different.
0: Now, as you know, this podcast is Vampires, Witches, and Geeks. Do I remember mm-hmm. correctly, did you say that you are a sort of a geek yourself? You work in the computer field? I do, in fact, work in IT, ah, yes. Yes, another geek person. Have you ever said any of your stories in in your field or in offices or anything like that
1: um i've been kind of playing with this uh an it murder mystery because let's face it living in cube farms does tend to lend itself to that at various points in the day (laughs) yes um yeah (laughs) at least
0: the urge
1: not that one would act on it merely to just sort of channel it all out yes the (laughs)
0: ideal (laughs) fantasy right
1: yeah So I'm kind of playing with that as well. Apart from that, I've done a few of my romances have been set in IT. I have a couple of published um, romance stories. But oddly enough, I haven't done very much of my science fiction and fantasy in IT. I think I don't don't always like the crossover with the work life. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yes, when you're out of work, you want to be out of work. Yes.
1: Yeah. I I also don't find work to be a particularly erotic place, so it just really doesn't trigger anything.
0: (laughs) No, that's true. Well, I believe you're going to read something for us. And we're running a little late here, so I'm going to break that off into a separate download. Thank you for being on this podcast. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for interviewing me. This has been really fun. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. You can find the show notes at podcast.morvenwestfield.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to hearing from you. You can leave comments at podcast.morvenwestfield.com or at my main website, www.morvenwestfield.com. Click the link that says Contact Me.